what is the value of Judaism? And what is the value of the law? These are the questions that the Apostle Paul is asking in his letter to the Romans 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> and now I don't have my fancy maps today, uh, and, and you know, we might not draw them, but I think the point here is this, that Paul is writing from Corinth, uh, essentially in modern-day Greece, to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome is full of all kinds of people. That include Gentiles, which uh, means essentially non-Jewish people, and Jews, people who have either grown up as Jews, uh, you know, when they were born, they were born into Judaism, or they were converts to Judaism. But at some point, they gave their lives to Christ. And now, and it may surprise you, maybe not, that Christianity was Judaism in the first century. And in fact, no one really saw it as different. Uh, the Romans didn't see it as a different religion. The Christians didn't really see themselves as a different religion. It was Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. It's only later in the first century and in the second century that, that people started seeing Christianity as a completely different sect altogether, as a, as a completely different movement. But that was not true in the first century. <clears throat> and so, because there were so many Jews in the church, <clears throat> Paul is now having to address the big elephant in the room, and it's a big one, which is, well, I'm a Jew. <clears throat> I have literally 2,000 years of Old Testament history here that talks about the law <clears throat> and the covenants that God has made with our people over um, the centuries. <clears throat> the question is, what was the value of all this? Now, if you grew up as a Jew, you're now suddenly hearing a very different message from Paul, which is, it is no longer the law that saves you. It is grace that saves you. Now, here's the issue. What is the law <clears throat> to a Jew of the first century? Um, tell me what the law is. What are some of the laws or commandments for Jews in the first century? Oh, Lorna, you're awesome. You skipped right to the end. Very good. You've got a list that's like hundreds and hundreds of rules long. But what did they start with? What are some of the, the beginning ones they started with? I would guess the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Right. What is the law? <clears throat> so we should define that. Ten Commandments. Those are the first. What they can eat, not eat. Yes. These are the dietary laws. Dietary. Yes, that's the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. <clears throat> Very good. Uh huh. Religious festivals. Very good. Sacrifices and and not just sacrifices, but rules about how you sacrifice, when and what and how. <clears throat> now to Lorna's point. <clears throat> It turns out that if you look at the Old Testament and you start in like Exodus, we start with the Ten Commandments, so there's ten rules right there, and then it's followed by several chapters of additional rules about how you conduct your worship. So I'm going to put that on here too. <clears throat> and then there's, I'm not going to keep going, but there's rules about um, the temple. Well, at that point, the tabernacle. How are you going to set up this meeting place between you and God? 
Um, the Ark of the Covenant is part of that. How you construct it, um, <clears throat> where the, the rules or the, the Ten Commandments will be put into and placed into. There's rules for uh, lighting the lampstand. Um, there's rules for what the priests had to do to cleanse themselves, etc. On and on and on and on. <clears throat> anyway, and what Lorna is getting at is, is what the evolution of all of this ends up becoming. So over the next 1,400 years or so, after the Ten Commandments are given, the problem is that this list of rules grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And, grows. and by the first century, we have not just the Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> now, if you're a Sadducee, you consider this much to be authoritative. <clears throat> They only considered the Torah or the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, to be uh, the authoritative word of God. But if you're a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were in the majority, you believe that all the prophets and the history of the Old Testament were also <clears throat> um, authoritative. They were canon, right? We call this our canon. This is our authoritative scriptures that we consider to be the word of God, <clears throat> inerrant, unerring. Then there was also additional writings. Now, think about how much is in the Old Testament. Just kind of curious, how many people have read the entire Old Testament, word, word for word, okay? Fair number, bless your hearts. Did, it, did you do that in a month? Yeah, it took a little bit more time. Maybe you did it in a year. Maybe you did it as part of a, a college course or courses. Now, I want you to think about expanding that by like 10 times. If you've heard of what's called the Mishnah <clears throat> or the Talmud, now you're getting into areas where rabbis, um, priest-like leaders of the Jews towards the end of the second and first centuries BC, and then of course in the modern era, you know, the first century AD and on, added to the Old Testament. And so what was this thick is now this thick. All kinds of rules about um, how you can wor not work on the Sabbath. You know, am I allowed to pick up a stone on the Sabbath? Am I allowed to get my ox out of a hole if he falls in and sort of thing? So anyway, the whole point is Judaism relied at that period on the law. And the law is what led to salvation. <clears throat> and this is probably the most important thing. Was seen as path to salvation. <clears throat> and what do I mean by salvation? What is salvation? Eternal life. Eternal life. Okay. That's a good one. There, if This is a complicated one. But yes, there were many Jews that believed there was some kind of afterlife. Um, <clears throat> many Jews felt like when you died, you were, you were buried and then you went to be with your fathers or your forefathers, your, your ancestors. They called it Sheol, the grave, so on and so forth. Anyway, long discussion. But yes, there was some concept though. there was an afterlife and you would, you would participate in it. What else was salvation? Were there different levels? Okay. Different levels of where you could go <clears throat> in the afterlife? There's certainly this concept that, yes, depending on how good you were or how bad you were, you would participate in different kinds of an afterlife, yes. All the way from eternal punishment to the other end, which would be what? It's not just eternal life, but what do you expect? 
reward. Reward. So we have all this baked into what salvation is. But for Jews of the first century, <clears throat> salvation is based on what? Following the law. Now, what does following the law mean to a first century Jew? Whatever's on scripture. Say it again. Whatever's on scripture. Ah, so what do you mean by that? Not necessarily what is good, what they feel in their heart. Like, um, yeah. if, if uh, don't work on Sunday, and mm-hmm. like they, um, in the Bible writes, uh, somebody got hurt and fell down, and, and they just walked by him. Uh, well, I'm not supposed to work, so that's that's part of what I'm supposed to be doing today. Right. Instead of taking care of the, you know, the hurt person, which is what you should be doing. I told you you should teach this class. You're right on. And, and I don't mean to draw this as a radioactive symbol. <clears throat> uh, it just happened that way. This is not dangerous for you, actually. What well, kind of is? Let's consider this your heart, and this is the, the external things you do to show or follow rules, right? External rule following, we'll call it. In the first century, it was way more important that it looked like you were following the law. Who cares what your heart is? What is your heart, right? And again, I go back to my, my classical uh, B.F. Skinner training in Psychology 101. B.F. Skinner said, I don't know the, the black box of your mind. I can't measure it. There's no way to do it. The only way I can measure who you are and what you are is by your actions, <clears throat> your behavior. And so the Jew of the first century are behaviorists. They essentially say, I don't know what your heart is like or your mind. All I can say is what you're doing on the outside. And on the outside, you better look look like you're following the laws. Now, you may be the most corrupt human who's walked the earth. You may be evil to your core, but but if you look like you're following the laws of not only the Old Testament, but all of the Mishnah, the Talmud, and so forth, then okay, you're all right. I think, Nathan, you had a... Yep. The Torah is canon, mm-hmm. and in Matthew it talks about the Sadducees not believing in the resurrection. Yes. What does salvation look like for them? This is a very good one, and this is this is hard for us to wrap our, our head around. You're absolutely right. So, the Sadducees not only reject all of the prophetic writings of the Old Testament; they said there is no afterlife. They said there's no angels, there's no demons, there is no spiritual realm. There is God, there is us on earth, and when you die. You're dead. That's it. It sounds depressing. Pretty hopeless. hopeless. Probably why they were in the minority. (laughs) And you have to. And and this is a good point too. Um, You will find many modern day adherents of both Christianity and Judaism who, in their heart of hearts, probably say, "I don't really even know if there's an afterlife." Right. But then it gets at, then why are you following the law in the first place, right? Now, this is a whole separate thing, and the issue around the Sadducees is you have to remember they were the aristocracy of the time who were the only ones allowed to have priests. <coughs> they were wealthy, so they could kind of believe whatever they want because they, they were living it up in this world, right? I mean, if you think of it that way, they didn't have to have the hope of an afterlife because everything was great here. This is the materialism of our modern age of consumerism or, or the materialism of, of capitalism even. It's, well, I'm living great today and I've got a great life. I'm not even worried about the future. And it is depressing. 
But here is where now Paul is, is attacking this belief. And, and again, you have to realize there's a reason why Paul is writing to the Romans. There's a reason why this is the longest letter we have that he ever wrote. Now, people don't write on and on and on and on because things are great. <laughs> It's all good in Rome. I'm just going to you know, say, hey, bros and, and sisters, how's it going? He writes his longest letter to them and his most intricate, his most thoughtful letter. Why would he do that? A lot of issues there. They got a lot of issues. <laughs> and it makes me, you know, he didn't get to get there. Like, he didn't get yeah. to go to Rome at this time. So he, um, I think maybe this is stuff that he would preach to the... Like when he went to Corinth, maybe this is like how he starts out mm-hmm. when he preaches to them, but we don't really know exactly what he preaches to them. But this is kind of like his sermon in word mm-hmm. form, like to the church in Rome. He's oh, this is so good. This is so good. I'm going to talk about it. Look, we haven't read it yet. It's 20 <laughs> minutes in. We're going to read it, I promise. But I want to address this. You have to remember <laughs> in the first century, how much did new Christian communities know about the truth of Jesus? Almost nothing. Yes. Rumor. In a way, he's delivering. He tells the Philippians, which is a short letter, Mm -hmm. it's mostly praise. He says, "Hold fast, you know, let us hold fast to the truth that we've already attained." So, in a way, to get to her point, you know, Mm -hmm. he's delivering that truth. This is exactly true. They didn't have truth. They didn't have the internet. They didn't already have the the New Testament. Remember, the Gospels are not written yet. Literally, all the Romans know about Jesus is either what someone has said who met Jesus, or um, maybe one of the apostles has been there. You know, the Catholic Church will say that Peter has already been there and he founded the Church of Rome. We don't know, maybe. Um, or they know it through letters that have been written. And, and I can guarantee you, as soon as this letter is written, Paul knew it would be their gospel. He knew it would be their, their testament. As soon as it's delivered, it's read to the whole congregation over and over and over again, and then it's copied. It's copied so that the original letter, which will eventually fall apart um, or be lost, that it, it won't be lost, and it will continue to be read, and then it will be sent to other churches in the area. So churches throughout the Mediterranean would have a copy of, of Paul's letter to the Romans. So that's the point, which is they don't have any other information about Jesus. So Paul is being very careful here to put as much as he possibly can in because he knows this is how they're going to know the truth. Okay, let's read. And I need some volunteers here. Romans 3. And we're going to break it up. I think we're going to start with Romans 3 verses 1 to, well, let's do 8. Verses 1 to 8. Who would like to start us off today? Roger? Okay, we're going to hand you the mic. Just have you just talk right into that. Should be going. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, 
why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. So this is a really good point. And, and a few minutes ago I asked, why is Paul writing this, this letter to the Romans? And someone said, because they got a lot of problems going on. Well, what do you think one of the problems is? It says it right here. <clears throat> Verse 8. Why not say, as we are slanderously reported as saying, and some claim we say, quote, let us do evil that good may result. Ooh, ouch. It's not a very good accusation, is it? <clears throat> so we see here that Paul is addressing a very key problem that's going on, that apparently people within the Roman church are sinning. <clears throat> and not only are they sinning, they're saying, it's good that I'm sinning. Because when I sin, I make God look better. <laughs> the people of the time call it cheap grace. Ouch. This gets at this, this point here, the circumcision versus baptism. And this is something that uh, Brother Roger said last week to me, and I said this is exactly right. <clears throat> the problem that's happening in the Roman church is the same that's happening in the Jewish community of the time, which is all I have to do as a Jew is, if I'm a male, I have to be circumcised. And I think we all know what that means. <clears throat> and then I have to start following the Mosaic law. Now, once I do that, I'm good. I can live my life any way I want. I can skirt the rules. I can find the loopholes. I can be a jerk. But I'm following the Mosaic Law, so I'm good. How then, for you guys today, is that any different than a person who maybe grew up in the Christian church or maybe at some point became baptized and then said, I'm good? I don't feel like going to church today. I'm just going to, you know, eh, eh. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, water my garden or something. Um, or I can be a jerk. I can, I can lie. I can cheat and I can steal, but it's okay because, you know, Jesus loves me, right? I'm good, right? <clears throat> I think we see today the same issues that were confronting the Jews of the first century, which is once I have the external boxes checked, for what I'm doing, right? I've been baptized or I've been circumcised, what have you. I can go live my life any way I want. How is that any different? When you get baptized, God changes you. He takes us right where we're at, which people are at different places when, in their life when they get baptized. Different things going on in their life, and he takes us from there. I think that's what we're getting at, Lorna. That's what we're getting at. And that, oh, yeah, right? 007? <laughs> License to sin, right? I'm good. Uh, I've been baptized. And, and again, um, look, there's plenty of Christian denominations that practice infant baptism. <clears throat> as soon as you're born, within you know a few days, a few weeks, you may be what's called christened. You may be baptized. Water is sprinkled on you. And for many Christian denominations, they consider that their baptism. They've been baptized. And then they live the rest of their life. You know, in some cases, they are disciples of Christ. In others, they say, no, I've been baptized. I'm good. I'm covered. Right? It's, it's not a license to sin. 
And that's what Paul is saying here. And people are accusing them of that. And again, people are saying, look, you you say that you're saved. Let us do evil that good may result. And they're taking it so far. They're saying, if I do evil, I'll show how righteous God is. And Paul even makes an Old Testament reference here. And this is a good point too. Romans is filled with references to the Old Testament. Why would he do that? Prove his point. His audience is really into the Old Testament. I mean, that's this is all it. they know. So he's using what they know against them to, right. to teach them. He's saying, you're absolutely right. He's saying, what is the value of Judaism? It has great value because it's teaching you the things that you need to know. What was the value of being a Jew? We'll get into that further here. He's going to keep making the point that if you're a Jew, that means you're very special. Why? Because God chose you as his chosen people to reveal his truth and righteousness through. You have great value. But what he's going to say too is, that doesn't get you off the hook. (laughs) That's not like, okay, I'm good, right? No, no. And you can't just use that excuse. And so one of the uh, quotes... The first quote of, of chapter 3 is from Psalms. Psalm, by the way. Does anyone know what the word psalm means? It's a Greek word, psalmist. It means a song sung to a harp. I think it's very pretty. I love harps. Anyway, uh, okay, so he, he quotes Psalm 51, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So prevail the Old Testament, if I have the NIV, the other word here is justified. You're justified when you judge. So Paul is making an Old Testament reference here to say, when God speaks, God is saying righteous things. So if you're a Jew, congratulations, he has revealed his truth to you. You should feel very special about that. Um, but, and we'll get into this more, just don't sin. Because that doesn't mean that God is more righteous or more faithful you're still on the hook for this other comments or questions from this first section sharing that, by the way. That is really deep. It kind of gets at, I think, what all of us have nagging in the back of our head when we, when we sin or when we, or when we think we failed, right? I believe, maybe I'm wrong, that Satan uses that against us. I think this is the kind of so-called unrighteous guilt <clears throat> or, or unholy guilt. It's Satan trying to wear us down and say, well, God can't love you because look at what you've done. God is a God of righteousness and justice. Well, I have sinned, therefore God can't love me or he's going to punish me. He's going to teach me a lesson, right? And I'm, I'm kind of 
with Nathan here and saying, <clears throat> and I said this last week, God is a strategic thinker. I write this a lot. And patient thinker. You know, we talk a lot about human nature is very tactical in the moment. <clears throat> we all have kind of a narrow focus on today, the now. What am I doing today at this very moment? How do I feel? How am I acting? How did someone respond when I talked to them? Oh, maybe they didn't respond the way I thought, so they must hate me, right? You know, it's, it, we all have that insecurity. And I make the point, no, God is completely different than that. He is a strategic, long-term thinker. He's thinking 20, 30, 40 years out. He's, he's looking at the path as you lead it way down the road. And he's looking at your history, where you came from, which may be 20, 30, 40 years past. It gets at this word I haven't written up here in Greek, <coughs> which is, it, it's, um, I call it patience, but I'll call it forbearance. <laughs> Macrothumia. It's not just patience. It's long simmering patience. That you're. What's that? You're so good. <laughs> I thought you misspelled it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what? That doesn't look anything like that. This idea that you are doing things. Yes, you're 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 pissing God off from time to time. He is a righteous God. He's an angry God. We are made in His image, but He's patient too. He keeps He keeps a lid on it, and He's gonna He's gonna be cool about it because He knows that over time. This is the same thing if you have children or if you teach students. Over time, with patience and work and, uh, and many opportunities for, for uh, teaching moments, people can change. <clears throat> and now Paul is going to use this, this idea of macrothumia, God's forbearance. That's, that's really what we're getting at here, forbearance. This idea that I'm simmering, but I'm going to keep a lid on it knowing that good things can come of it. Paul is going to make the argument that forbearance extends to the entire Old Testament. Boom. 2,000 years of God being patient. He didn't send his Messiah to Adam or to Moses or to Babylon and Daniel. He waited. He waited. He was patient. He was patient with Abraham. Remember, we talked about, you know, we talked about the, the patriarchs, the slow path to knowing God. God didn't reveal himself to Abraham all on day one. Literally, Abraham was into his hundreds, you know, centenarian, I guess you would call him, hundred and some years old before Abraham really got it. And he still didn't really get it because he still hadn't revealed everything to him. To remember, God is patient, he's loving, and I think this really speaks to God's love for us, that he is willing to be patient and not just the minute you feel you failed or the minute you feel you sinned, strikes you down, right? <clears throat> you see that also, you go back to what we talked about before in uh, Exodus, where time and time again they were just grumbling against God, grumbling against mm -hmm. God, but he continued to bless them. He's like, oh, they want food, so here's yep. your food. You want meat, here's your meat. You want water, here's your water. Time after time, even after they built the golden calves and, you know, God still blessed them. He had that forbearance. 
I'm going to ask you, brother, how do you know God had forbearance there? How do you know God was like, it's all good, Israelites, just, you know, why? Why do we know that he was really ticked off about it? Why? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I am going to burn these people to the ground, right? And what, and what did Moses say? What's that? And what did God do? He gave them a plague, but he did, he did let them off the hook, right? There's just a few thousand, right? You know, but that's the point. We know God has an angry nature when we sin. He is angry about it. But we have proof in the Old Testament that God also has this idea of forbearance, that his wrath can be delayed. Because why? Well, I think God has a heart, too, of love for us, and he is willing to give us the time and the space. You're so cute how you raise your hand. <laughs> well, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> so this discussion reminded me of Second Peter 39. Ooh, okay. This is a good one. Thank you so much. That is an awesome scripture. Everyone. And this gets at the whole predestination thing, which I do not I do not believe in. He does believe. We have the choice. He thinks every single person on this earth could choose him if, you know, <clears throat> it's our choice. Okay, let's go on because we're going to keep making this point here. <clears throat> let's keep going. Let's do verse 9 through 20. Who would like to read that for us and have the uh, magic microphone? <clears throat> well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. What was the purpose of the Mosaic Laws? keep the law to show you what sin is and how many people can follow the law perfectly ah it's a trick question right how many how many normal humans can follow it uh, right and that's a great point Roger which is no matter who you are what you do unless you are Jesus Christ no one can follow the law perfectly Paul, in rapid-fire succession, quotes seven, at least seven Old Testament scriptures here. <clears throat> the, the, the biggest one of all comes from their King David. 
their probably most venerated leader of the past. He says there is no one righteous, not even one. So who in their mind would think that all I have to do is follow the law and I'm good? They were told a thousand years earlier that that is impossible. How many of us ignore scripture that we don't like? (laughs) He wasn't talking about me. Hey, he's talking about someone else. Oh, no. He's talking about all of us. But in fairness, what else did they have? Okay. Oh, this is great. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So now the Jew will say exactly what you have just said, which is, then why did I do this for a thousand years? It's almost designed, it, it is designed, to point us to God. To yes. know that there, you cannot follow mm-hmm. the law, so there's got to be something yep. else. And then there's God. And so there's something deeper than mm-hmm. just the word. Yes. The written word, the Torah, and the There's God, which I think that's, that's the whole purpose anyway, is to point everybody to God. And it's like, I cannot follow these rules, but I know I have you. Now, if, if, if you are hearing this and you're thinking about your great-great-grandfather, who was a Jew, pious Jew, followed the law and is now dead, your first thought is what? Uh-oh. He's gone. Uh-oh. That's exactly... <laughs> oh, crap, right? I'm going to tell you right now, you can ask 10 expert theologians what happened to the souls of the Jews who may have seemed as pious as you can be uh, in the past before Christ, and how many answers will you get? If you're lucky, 10. If you're lucky. I'm going, to make you, I'm going to make this claim to you. And this kind of gets back at my whole John 3.16 thing, which is <clears throat> I want you to stay anchored in the gospel, which is what? What is John 3.16? Rather than come to condemn, you Okay, that is a great one. That's not John 3.16, but close to it, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Exactly. It is. See, <laughs> and that's my, and this is my point. And, and Rodney's right on, which is, I don't want you to get. And this is this is what happens to people. They get caught suddenly in these theological, philosophical arguments, and they take a right turn, and suddenly they go down a path that only brings problems to them, and to their friends, and to their families. Well, what about all those people that you know didn't know Jesus before? Um, look, don't worry about them. You've heard the gospel. Every single person hearing this message has now heard what the truth is, which is Jesus Christ is your salvation. He is the path to your salvation at this point. So don't worry about them. If you truly believe that God is a loving and patient God, it'll be okay. But they were under their covenant. Yes. That was the, their testament or a covenant with God. They entered into that covenant back you know, when they left uh, Egypt. We are under a new covenant with Jesus. And, and why would God trick us? And that's my other thing. Show me in the Bible any scripture that says God is a God of trickery, who's just out to catch us. Well, they had a... They had some kind of sense that there is an afterlife, the Sheol and the rest with your father kind of thing. And the, the one that always comes to my mind is when uh, um, 
David slept with Bathsheba, yep. and they lost their first child. And he fasted up to the point where the child was dead. And then he got up and ate. Hmm? He's like, he will not be able to come back to me, but I will go to him. So there is a, a sense of there is an afterlife. Yep. So I mean, they have their covenant, their promise with God. Exactly. I think no. the Jews just missed the point for so many thousands of years. You know, yep. like he talked about talk mm-hmm. about how, like, okay, so what's next then? Mm-hmm. Following the laws is useless. And you have all these prophecies of the Messiah, mm-hmm. a Savior, but they totally missed the point of the Savior. They yep. thought the Savior was coming to rescue them from whoever, whichever people had them captive, Babylon, Assyria, Romans. Yep. They thought it was going to be like a physical king, yep. Savior, not like a, oh, Savior, salvation, mm-hmm. like giving us salvation type of yep. savior. Like they missed that for just thousands of years. How many of us today miss it? Yeah. <laughs> God, was, Jesus was just a hippie. He loves everyone. He doesn't, yeah, he's not going to condemn anyone, right? How many people do we know who uh, reject truth yeah. because well, my grandfather did it this way and my father did it this way and mm-hmm. my parents did it and my friends, you know, that's what they believe so that's good enough for me. You have just hit on, I believe, one of the root issues in the first century with the Jewish community. 2,000 years, we've been doing what God told us to do. And God was right when he told us, this is the law. And it was right. And this idea that he's trying to tell them is, no, no, the law wasn't wrong. The law just had a different function than you think it had. Well, my great-grandfather and my grandfather, they all were great Jews, and they followed the old command, Ten Commandments, so I'm going to keep doing that. It's, it's this, um, this idea in a scientific sense of uh, um, you know, resistance to, to change. Uh, your inertia right, and your momentum are, are, are constant. You can only change the course of an object by adding energy and forcing it to move off course. We tend to just you know, go in the direction that we're going <clears throat> until something pushes us off. Think now about the 2,000 years of history that the Jews have of moving in this direction of the law and suddenly be told, you know, you got to go a completely different direction. I think Steve is, is at something here. A lot of the resistance that you see in this community is, how can we possibly do that? A, it, it, it makes us feel like we were doing something wrong for all this time, which they weren't. And B, well, our history says we've been doing this for 2,000 years. Um, it's very hard for us to change. Now, look at your own lives. It reminds me of, like, you know, my great-grandparents and great-grandparents, they were like, if you dance or play cards, uh-huh. you are going to hell. Like, it is, like, very, very, very bad, right? And <laughs> Those of us who play cards are looking nervously at each other. <laughs> but, like, so then, like, you know, that kind of trickles down. Then my grandparents were like, oh, well, they thought that was wrong, and I think it's wrong, too. And then my parents are, you know, they have, like, this sort of guilt, I think, yeah. if they, oh, you know, guilt. play well, that's cards a good one. or mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing wrong with it, just like there was, yeah. So I think it's that's yep. like, kind of, like, the modern-day thing of, like, you know, you're trying to hold on to the mm-hmm. law because it's, like, what your parents did, and there's, yeah. you know, but... Mm-hmm. Was there now? There's no purpose in those laws. It's so hard to change your past. It's so hard to change what you've grown up as. And and for those of you who have shared the gospel with people who maybe are older in life, more seasoned, we'll call it. um, You know, it is really true that the older a person gets, the more reticent they are in their ways, because that's how they've lived their lives. 
you know, it's much easier to kind of educate young people and say this is the gospel and it's the truth because they really haven't lived 40, 50, 60 years in their set ways. Um, the same is true of generations of people as you grow, right? Um, I mean, name your Christian denomination. Your family has been, I, I'm just going to, and I'm not saying anything wrong, maybe you've been a Methodist. And your, and your parents were Methodists, and their parents were Methodists, but now you want to go be a Lutheran. I just made that up, right? <laughs> Why do you want to be a Lutheran, right? There may be nothing wrong with Luth Lutheranism, right? Of course, uh, the core tenets of Lutheranism, they're Christian, right? But, but it's different. <laughs> it's different. Now, imagine, it's not just a little different. It's like 180 degrees different. How hard is that to change in the community? And now we start to see why there was so much resistance. Remember, just f five to ten years before the, the letter of the Romans is written, all of the Jews were kicked out of Rome because of their infighting with the Christian community. It was that bad. So the, the wounds are still there. So now we see how hard it is to change. No one is perfect. No one can follow the law. And now we get at the root issue. Verse 18. <clears throat> what is the root cause of sin in the world? Selfishness. 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 And this, this is it, too. And this is, yes. And so I agree with all of that. What is verse 18 saying? It's saying the fear of the Lord, the phobos, phobeo, right? The fear of God. Now, <clears throat> what does fear imply here? This is a good one. She is so good. <laughs> Lorna, you get 100 gold stars, sweetheart. Because that's what I'm getting at. What is the first answer you're going to think of when you hear the word fear? Yeah, scared. Don't, don't destroy me. Right? Yeah. Which is part of it. Don't get me wrong. That's part of it. But I think it's more of what Lorna's getting at. And I, I would certainly say that's what Paul would say. You need to respect God. Where is God on the celestial plane compared to human beings? <laughs> right? is a little bit higher in his uh, social uh, layer than we are. <clears throat> all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. But he is not us. But he lives in us. Ah, where? Where? Yeah. No, just... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Our heart. Our soul. Isn't this the great answer? Isn't this a great answer? If you're a Christian and you believe that you are saved, it is the Holy Spirit who is living inside of your heart. And the Holy Spirit is 
God himself, God himself. Now he's living in you, but that doesn't mean he's equal with you. This is where I think we need to be careful. He's still superior to us, and not just in a power way. I think it's important. Respect means a lot of things, and if you think of respect, right, you think of maybe the Godfather movie or something where, you know, I want respect. Why? Because I'm going to, you know, murder you or something, right? <laughs> but that's, that's not the same kind of respect. I think here the respect is understanding, well, let's see, you're more patient than I am. You're more loving than I am. <clears throat> you created us. I mean, it's hard to argue against. He made me. It's kind of like, you know, they have the art. Like, sometimes moms will say, well, I put you in this world. Like, I took you out of it. Like, it's kind of like that. I swear I've never said that to my kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> it's true. Um, jokes aren't lies. I, I consider them satire. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. And so this respect, I feel, is, is something greater. And I think, you know, if you're a disciple of Jesus, my comment is, I think you should be a disciple, not just because you're afraid of going to hell. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of us either became Christian or, or even today we think of this, I don't want to go to hell. So what do I got to do, right? Well, that is part of it. But I don't think that's the number one reason why God has a relationship with us. If he just wanted to do that, let's be honest, there's other religions on this earth that see God as more of just a punisher and an executioner. Um, and I'm just following the rules so I don't get smited. That is not what I see in God in the New Testament. Smitten? No. I make up my own words. It's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't write that one up here. <laughs> you know, how can you have a relationship with someone that you fear? And, and if you really truly fear someone, you're not going to just fear them, you're going to hate them. You'll loathe them. Think about if you're married, your spouse. Uh, maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> maybe your children. Maybe that's not a good example either. I'm joking, but I want you to, you know, these of course are, are examples that God gives to us. Your marriage, um, your children, your friends and family are all examples that God is trying to teach you what his love is like. I think you get the gold star for that one because, you know, it's you, the, in the big picture, We've, we talked before, you know, God doesn't want robots. Yes. You know, he wants people who want to follow him, yeah. not people who have to follow him. There you go. You know, yes, there's an eternal consequence for not following him, but he doesn't want that to be your motivating factor. I mean, he wants love, I think, anyway, mm -hmm. to be your factor, motivation. That could be your initial motivating factor. It can mm -hmm. certainly gets your attention. Yeah. You know, the, the fire and brimstone preachers, they were so focused, or are, mm -hmm. so focused on, you know, you are damned, you're going to yep. hell, blah, 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 and they're not lying to you. Right. But that's where they tend to stop. It's like, well, let's hurry up and get you baptized, and then we'll go on to condemn the next person. Well, I said all the time in my Iowa City when I go to the university there. You know, there's people who come in and they have these huge signs and are like, mm -hmm. these 20 different people, types of people on mm -hmm. here who do these actions, they're going to hell. Yep. And of course, they draw huge crowds of people mm -hmm. around them, most people just making fun of them. Yep. And it's like, well, it's not helping. I mean, it's a way to get someone's attention, yeah, and maybe it's like someone can then go to church and like figure it out. 
But I'm like, that, what you're doing right there is mm -hmm. not helping usually anyone. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it's turning people against that religion, or mm -hmm. Christianity, or whatever religion they're talking about, mm -hmm. necessarily. Because it's like, I don't know. No one's going to walk past someone and, and then someone's like, you're going to hell. And then be like, thanks. And like, go <laughs> and like, talk to them. It's totally like, true. I've been waiting for you. Yeah. Like so it's just like, yep. that's just not, I have never found that to be a very productive way to do anything. Well, really. I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, yeah. if you go back to verse 10, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we're all, could be right. going to hell. But yeah. that doesn't talk about the love of God either. Yeah, I feel like they, they miss that whole section where it's like, they don't even say like, oh, you're going to hell, but if you come to God, then you'll be saved. It's like, you're going to hell. And that's where they stop. Hmm? Yeah. It's like, well, not helpful. Yeah. Jesus, didn't, Jesus never did that. Yeah. And I think if we're looking to him as our example, you know what I mean? Like, that's that goes back to what, you know, the whole root cause of sin and mm -hmm. Satan. He wants us to... They're trying to make themselves like it's, it's selfish mm -hmm. what they're doing with the signs or whatever. Yep. They're trying to like yeah. get attention, and there's nothing oh, to do with. So they good. don't want people to come to repentance. So they're <coughs> wanting attention, and Jesus never like you know he could have done that. He could have like stood on the corner and said, "Hey, Zacchaeus, you know." And this, this is the third one. It's kind of like selfishness. What is the root cause of sin in the world? It's selfishness, but it has a flavor of, I want the focus to be on me. Now, I will absolutely agree that the core message of what they're saying is true, but you have to look at the delivery. <laughs> How many letters of Paul did he only say, you're all going to hell, you're all damned for all time, good luck with that, and said nothing else. Now, it's, it's woven in because it's truth into kind of, you know, God still has justice, he is a, he is a God of righteousness and laws, but it's just like what Laura said with Jesus. It's, how, it's your approach, right? If you approach people in a loving way, why? Why does God send people to hell? And this is, this is an ironic <laughs> statement that a lot of people can't wrap their heads around, because he loves you. And because he loves righteousness. That's why people go to hell. And you tell 80% of the human race that, and they'll be like, I don't get that at all. These people are tools of Satan. I'm sorry, they are. Why? Because they're letting Satan tell them, you need to, you know, make a fuss and get on the news and draw a huge crowd. And how many people give their lives to Christ because of that? She was absolutely right. That shows that they're tools of Satan. Because if they were a tool using the Holy Spirit, yeah. they would have fruit, yeah. right? Fruit. Yeah. But if you have no fruit, then you are not. What's their heart no. like? It's radioactive. It's, yes. Oh, this is so. That'll be the title of the YouTube. Radioactive hearts. <laughs> Externally, it may look like those people are doing what they should do, right? What is their heart? It's not right. They're condemning. They're not. They don't give a rip about a loving relationship with God. They only care about shocking. Sorry. I'm gonna say they're just probably just trying to justify their own lives. At least I'm not as bad as Ooh. these people. And who does that remind us of? That's creating the kind of fear that was talked about in verse 18. Yes. Respect. Yes. There, respect. Ooh, and this is a great one. Respect goes more than one way. Um, <clears throat> yes, 
I respect God. Who else do I need to respect? Who are created in his image. Who God said. His first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second most important is who? What? Love your neighbor. You've got to respect other human beings. Look, I know you get upset when they cut you off in traffic. <laughs> or when your boss, who you think is a blankety blank, doesn't give you the promotion you think you deserved. But guess what? <laughs> God still loves them with all his heart. Jesus died for them too. Well, that's where the sign thing comes in. Yep. They're not speaking the truth in love. Exactly. They're just trying to hammer the truth over top of you yep. beat you down. That's it. And then you have to look at the fruit, which is how many people are saved. Zero. Change your tactic. Okay. Let's finish it out. We're going to do verse 21 and go through the end, which is 31. It's a great discussion today. We'll wrap it up here. <coughs> Who'd like to read that for us? But God has a way to make people right with him without the law, and he has now shown us that way which the law and the prophets told us about. God makes people right with himself through their faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for all who believe in Christ, because all people are the same. All have sinned and are not good enough for God's glory, and all need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. God gave him as a way to forgive sin through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. This showed that God always does what is right and fair, as in the past when he was patient and did not punish people for their sins. And God gave Jesus to show today that he does what is right. God did this so he could judge rightly and so that he could make right any person who has faith in Jesus. So do we have a reason to brag about ourselves? No. And why not? It is the way of faith that stops all bragging, not the way of trying to obey the law. A person is made right with God through faith, not through obeying the law. Is God only the God of the Jews? Is he not also God of those who are not Jews? Of course he is, because there is only one God. He will make Jews right with him by their faith, and he will also make those who are not Jews right with him through their faith. So do we destroy the law by following the way of faith? No. Faith causes us to be what the, true, what the law truly wants. Oh, this is it. Uh, Heather... I think a few weeks ago said um, you can write an abstract for, for a scholarly article which is essentially a summary of what that article is about. Chapter 3 of Romans is essentially another abstract of the entire book of Romans or letter. What's the problem? Everyone's a sinner. How do we know that everyone's a sinner? Because of the Old Testament and the prophets. What's the answer? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Look at all these verses we've heard before. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That is the gospel right there, folks. That's it. And tell me, tell me, in here, where does it say that I have to follow the law to be saved? Show me. Where in there does it say? doesn't. How many so-called Christian religions <clears throat> will tell you that it's fine to believe in Jesus, but you have to be a good person to go to heaven? We all know of them, and I'm not going to name them. <clears throat> there are plenty of them. There are millions of people on this planet 
who continue to push a message that says, you can believe in Jesus and that's all good and fine, but you have to be a good person and you have to be a great minister and you have to be a um, missionary and you ha you're saved through childbearing, et cetera, et cetera. That is not in here, folks. That is not in here. What is in here is the point that people get so confused about, which is, <clears throat> it is not your works that lead to salvation. It is your salvation that leads to what? And that's and it's salvation through faith. That is exactly it. <clears throat> that is exactly it. Faith in Jesus Christ being who he says he is. If you are truly saved and you have a righteous faith, it's going to show in your fruit, 100%. It's going to show in your fruit. And from time to time, you might want to <clears throat> train that fruit. <laughs> you may want to, you know, go volunteer in the nursery, even though you may not want to from time to time, or, or help out with a VBS special. I'm not plugging it, by the way, but if you do, that would be great. <clears throat> <laughs> You know, but but and, and even C.S. Lewis, you know, he's not he's not a gospel writer, but he does say it has to be trained. Faith has to be trained, and and Paul will say that um, in his letters. It, it takes work, but yes, that will lead to works, and it's not the other way around. Okay, great discussion today. Thank you so much. We'll continue this next week.